0: name. That's the climax, the purpose. That's what all of John's gospel is about. We read that and we can be sure about the gospel message. We can be sure about what it does, about the life that it brings, the reason we have for believing it. But what about the first gospel messengers? Yes, we can believe the gospel message, but what about those first messengers? Can they be trusted? Well, that's what John wants to address in this final chapter of the gospel. So with that in mind, let me read John chapter 21. If you've got a church Bible, it's on page 1090. Then after that, I'll pray. John chapter 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It's happened this way. Simon Peter... Thomas called Didymus, the Phanuel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, "'Bring some of the fish you have just caught.' Simon Peter climbed uh, aboard and dragged the net ashore." When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus, sorry, Peter was hurt. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned around and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, What is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have the room for the books that would be written. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that as you fed your disciples here, in your words, in this account, may you feed us this morning. May you feed our souls and may we grow in love and knowledge of you. May we find our life in you. We ask all these things in your name, Lord Jesus, and for your glory. Amen. As you can see on the slides behind me, two points for us this morning. First off, in verses 1 to 14, Jesus feeds his apostles. And secondly, Jesus calls his apostles to feed his sheep. Let's look at the first one Jesus feeds his apostles. And I want us to notice in verses 1 to 14 how this section is bookended. Have a look at verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, same place. And this word appeared, it's actually the word revealed. Jesus revealed himself, it's a revelation. Look at verse 14. This was now the third time Jesus appeared. Jesus revealed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. What we see here is a revelation of Jesus. So the question is, what is it he's revealing? Well, let's look at the scene. Let's see who the camera is focused on as it begins. Have a look at verse 2. We've got seven people here. Seven of Jesus' followers. John the writer is one of them. He's one of the sons of Zebedee. But look which name is first. Simon Peter. The leader of the group. If you remember to last week in chapter 20, Jesus hasn't yet gone. The help of the Holy Spirit hasn't yet come in its fullness. So what do the disciples decide to do here? decides to go fishing Peter goes back to what he knows best he decides to go fishing and the others follow him, we've got all these professional fishermen and yet they catch nothing then in the morning we've got a man on the shore can't quite make out who it is and he says something like lads lads have you caught any fish and the answer comes back, no. And his voice says, Try the other sides." And what is the result of this call? A monumental catch. And then immediately, John works out who is speaking to them. And then comes this reaction, reminiscent of the one at the tomb. John uh, runs the tomb first, but Peter goes head first into the tomb. Here's something similar. John recognises Jesus first, and Peter goes head first, swimming into the water to meet Jesus. But let's just pause for a moment and think, what's just happened to these guys? These guys were fishermen. Peter was a fisherman. There's many things Peter couldn't do, but fishing, that was one thing he could always rely on. And yet, the very thing he relied on, it's failed him. And just just imagine if that was you, doing that thing you rely on. It doesn't matter what it is, it could be something quite mundane. But imagine that thing you rely on, that thing you are good at. You just do it instinctively. And all of a sudden, it's gone. Can you imagine how insecure that might make you feel? How uncertain of things that might make you. It could be something quite normal like driving. You just take great comfort. You can hop in a car. You can drive around. You can give people lifts. You can drop kids off at various activities. Then all of a sudden, your ability's gone. That'd really shake you, wouldn't it? I know it'd shake me. Why is that, though? Well, it's because we think that we can do things on our own. And here Jesus is teaching Peter that this isn't the case. For as Jesus said to the apostles in the upper room, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. It was not the Lord's will for Peter to catch fish here. So he didn't catch any fish. Those days of fishing are over. And yet in the province of God, Peter's caught nothing all night until the word of the Lord comes when Peter catches fish. Because really it's Jesus' catch, isn't it? Even those things we think we're good at, we're really only able to do them because the Lord wills it. Let's just follow the camera here on Peter in these scenes. Let's see everything he gets up to. Verse 3, he's going out fishing. Verse 7, he puts on his jacket, he throws himself into the water and swims ashore. And in verse 11, he later climbs back into the boat and is now able to pull this momentous haul ashore. use the question. Why is Peter the focus here in this chapter? Why does he seem so restless here, jumping from one thing to another thing to another thing? Perhaps seeking relief in, in activity, just doing things. Well, because Peter is an, an unfinished strand in the web of John's gospel. We'll see in a few weeks' time in chapter 18, three times Peter publicly denies knowing Jesus. It's been days since Jesus rose from the dead. And yet he's not been publicly restored. He's not been publicly recommissioned. And yet twice already, Peter's met the risen Lord and it's not come up yet. Now I wonder if this is why Peter gets changed before he goes swimming. It's a bit odd, wasn't it? He goes swimming so he puts on clothes. I wonder if like Adam in the Garden of Eden, after he sinned, naked and feeling shame before going to see the Lord, tries to find some sort of clothing. Here, Peter too, not wearing much while fishing, before going to see the Lord, wants to put his clothes back on because of the shame he still has. But notice what Peter is able to do though in verse 11. We're told in verse 6 that the disciples could not haul the net in. And yet in verse 11, one man, Simon Peter, hauls the net in himself. It's quite striking that, isn't it? All these men couldn't do it. And yet now one man is able to haul in all of these fish himself. And as we've seen already in John 21, You pluck the web of John's gospel and everything just reverberates. And this word here, for haul, it's an important word in John's gospel. John 12, Jesus says, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw, I will haul all people to myself. The same words you say that no one is able to come to the Lord unless he draws them in. Simon and Peter are only able to draw in these fish here because the Lord enables him to do so. You can't help but read on in the New Testament and wonder, is this a picture of what's to come for Simon Peter? Is this perhaps a picture of what's to come when he's Jesus' instrument on the day of Pentecost? When he proclaims the glorious riches of Christ and multitudes of men, women and children jump into his net as he hauls them in to Christ. Peter's been a busy man in these opening scenes, hasn't he? He's not the only person in focus here. Jesus has been busy doing things as well in the background. So here's the question. What has Jesus been doing while Peter's been all busy? Or to rephrase the same thing, what has the risen, conquering Christ The reigning saviour of the world, risen from the dead, defeating Satan, sin, and death. What has this man been doing while Peter's been busy? He's been doing exactly what he did in John chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, prepared breakfast for his apostles. Verse 5, lads, have you caught anything? Verse 6, try the other side. Verse 9, Jesus already has the charcoal fire burning with fish on it. Verse 10, Jesus asks them to put more fish to put on it. Verse 12, he says, come and have breakfast. Verse 13, Jesus gives out the bread and the fish. Verse 15, after they had finished eating, the amazing, risen, conquering king, making breakfast. See, what do we see here in these verses? Who do we see here in these verses? We see the good shepherd. The Lord Jesus Christ caring for his sheep. We see the good shepherd who who called to his sheep. Lads, have you caught any fish? Calls to his sheep and they have come. We see the good shepherd who knows his own out on the lake. And they know him. We see the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. We see the good shepherd who is committed to his sheep. The good shepherd who cares for his sheep. We see the good shepherd who feeds his sheep as they listen to his words. And how do we see this feeding here? Well, as the Lord calls for disciples to move the net to the other side, they haul in this miraculous catch to eat. And it is in this sign... In these words that Jesus reveals himself to them. This is the moment uh, John recognises who it is. I just think in these 14 verses, such a beautiful, tender scene here. Here's the Lord Jesus risen from the dead with his battered and his bruised followers. His followers who a few days ago abandoned him Yet here he is, feeding their bodies, feeding their souls, all by his words. For Jesus is the bread of life. And if any man comes to him, eats of this bread, feeds on this word, he will live forever. Seeing such a tender, beautiful scene of, of the chief shepherd loving his people, caring for his weary sheep. Is it any wonder that two of the qualifications for church leadership are are teaching and hospitality? Because that's exactly what we see here in this scene. But notice that Jesus didn't need them to provide fish for breakfast. He's already got food ready for them in verse nine. And yet... He's got stuff there. He could do it. And yet he also chooses to use some of their labors. Why? Because ultimately it's his labors, really, isn't it? All of their work is ultimately the Lord's work. Jesus doesn't need his disciples to do his work. He doesn't need us to do his work. And yet he chooses to do so. He chooses to use our labors. For all of our labors are really his. For without him, we can do nothing. But as tender and as beautiful, I think the scene is for us as we look on. For Simon Peter, his stomach, I think, must have been churning. Twice he's met the risen Lord Jesus, three times here. And as he walked onto that shore, tired from his, his swim in the sea, who he met with the smell of smoldering charcoal filling his nostrils from the fire. And as that happens, immediately transported back to the last charcoal fire he stood at. When he stood with the officers and the servants in the court of the high priest, warming himself. At the last charcoal fire, when he was asked if he was a follower of Jesus, and he said three times, I am not. Perhaps you know what it's like to wrong someone And you're just waiting for them to to lose it on you. At the very least, to to mention what's happened. And it never comes up, and so you're you're a bit on edge every time you see them. Where where do I stand with them? Well, here in this third encounter, Simon Peter has with the Lord. Here at this charcoal fire, he's not going to find retribution for what he's done wrong and said restoration, as Jesus calls his apostles to feed his sheep. As I've already mentioned a few weeks time, we'll look at John 18 and see these three opportunities where Peter denies knowing Jesus. And now, in verses 15 to 25, we see three opportunities Peter has to publicly say his devotion to Jesus. But why does Jesus do this for Peter here? Why does he do it now? Why not earlier? I think because he wants Peter to see something. He wants Peter to see what is needed for the faithful serving of his sheep. See, in in John's gospel, Peter's already made two confessions. He made one right back at the start in John chapter 6, where Jesus asked his disciples if they wanted to leave him. And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then later on in chapter 13, in the upper room, when Jesus says he's going, Peter responds by saying that he will lay down his life for Jesus. In that first confession, it's a confession of understanding who Jesus is. He gets that. In the second confession, it's a, it's a confession of commitment to Jesus. And yet neither of these confessions were enough. Peter goes on the gospel to show he hasn't fully grasped who Jesus is and he wasn't faithful in service. Neither of these confessions alone, although important, it's important to know who Jesus is. It's important to be committed to Jesus, but on their own. That's not enough for lasting service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been there, haven't we? At least I've been there. We have an understanding of who Jesus is. We've made promises to serve Jesus in various capacities. Yet we, like Peter, often forget Jesus, forget who he is. We fall short of those promises we've made. And here we see a third confession from Peter in John's Gospel. A confession of love. A confession not based on what others around him are thinking. A confession that doesn't care what they think. It's a confession of love between him and the Lord. You know, Lord. What's different with this threefold confession to chapter 18 is when he was asked three times if he loved Jesus, he messed up every time. This time, two things are different. It's important we see them. First off, he gets the answer right. And secondly, each time, he sent back out to serve. Back out to serve the Lord's people. And notice before I read these verses again, Jesus goes back to calling Simon, like it was at the beginning when they first met. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs, help in the Sunday school, help in aspire, spire, inspire, teach the children. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Take general care of the church family, look after them. And i feel the pain. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. The hardest one of all, the priority of the three. Feed, tend, Feed. Notice who the flock all belong to. It's Jesus Christ, my lambs, my sheep. Notice Peter is sent out to feed Christ's sheep because he loves Christ. And he never forgot this as life went on. He never forgot this encounter with the Lord In his first letter and in chapter 5, he writes, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So, we find in these verses here, down to verse 19, Peter, the leader, the representative of the apostles, recommissioned to be a minister, recommissioned to serve, to be a servant of the word. Brought in by the Lord, so that he may be sent back out to feed his sheep, to feed the sheep, tend the sheep, feed the sheep. See, at the end of the gospel, we see that Jesus' priorities for his sheep to be fed, so that they can grow, so that they can have life. What means that other things in life in church, it doesn't mean they aren't important, but it means that they aren't the priority, Sometimes we may want to see David and as much as it might hurt him, he might have to say no to us because he has to prepare to feed the flock. We may have friends or family who have not seen for a while and they're, and they're missing out on Jesus' priority for them. to Be fed by his word. So why don't give them a ring this afternoon encourage them to come back this evening and be fed, to grow, to have life in Christ's word. And if Jesus' priority here at the end of the gospel is for his flock to be fed, then that's not changed. Times his priority is now for the, flock to be fed, for the flock to be fed. So that means that the training of people to preach and to teach God's word, therefore, should also be essential in the life of a church. Not just in sort of formal programs like ministry and training, like myself or ministry princes but in Sunday school in those leading discussions on a Wednesday in our our pastoral groups. Training people to to preach and to teach God's words so that God's people can continue to be fed, not just now, but in the next generation to come and the next generation to come and the next generation to come. See, what we see here is that a mark of a good pastor, a good shepherd, is good feeding from God's words. And the necessity for that, for that faithful service, isn't gifting alone, but rather love for Christ. No matter how you serve in Christ's church, whether it is in Sunday school upstairs, whether it's welcoming on the door, whether it's serving tea and coffee, no matter how you serve God's people, whether it's in your faithful prayers at home, the first qualification for service and the continual necessity for service is love for Christ. See, our emotions may, may dwindle. We may get a pat on the back at the start, but that won't always be there. Recognition from others won't always come. But love for Christ will carry us on, even when others don't see that service. Love for Christ will carry us on even when we fail in that service. Perhaps if you're here and you feel like your sin disqualifies you from serving, come to Christ. Perhaps you're here and you don't yet know Jesus and you think you're too bad to be a Christian. Come to Christ. See how he loves Peter. See how he cares for Peter. He's the same tender shepherd of your soul as he is for Peter's. Yes, you may not be able to do some of the roles you once did, but the Lord still has service for you to do. And like Peter, restoration might be slow, might be painful. It had been days since he, denied Jesus, since he denied Jesus. He'd seen Jesus multiple times. There was no quick fix for Peter. It was slow, it was painful. But that's because the Lord's not after a quick fix. He's after heart surgery. But as Jesus calls us to himself, like Peter, is always to send us back out. Look again at verse 18. It says in the NIV here, I tell you the truth, and if you've got an ESV. It might say, truly, truly. We've been hearing this a lot, haven't we? Truly, truly in John's gospel. And here we've got the last, truly, truly, last, I tell you this, of the gospel. And here, Jesus doesn't contrast him and Peter, but notice rather, he compares him and Peter. He compares Peter to him describing their deaths as being similar. Again, adding another layer of authenticity to Peter's reinstatement. The same Peter who, before the crucifixion of Jesus, bragged that he he would lay down his life for Jesus now after the crucifixion is called to do exactly that. Called to live out a life of service the very way Jesus described in John chapter 12. And Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Keep your eyes on me. It's not going to be easy. You're going to be crucified. But keep your eyes on me. But then, but a breath later, his eyes are back on John asking about him. And Jesus says, that's That's my business. That's not your business. You're Peter. You aren't John. Stop playing the comparison game. Keep your eyes on me. Jesus has different work for John to do. That's why John adds this comment uh, as well. What verse is that? Verse twenty-three. Perhaps correcting a misunderstanding at the time. And then we come to the final pluck of the web of John's gospel. Verse twenty-four. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. For John testifies to Jesus. He is the final witness in the gospel. And if you were to do a search of the word "testify" in John's gospel, the scores of them, you've got John the Baptist, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got Jesus' works given by the Father, you've got the Scriptures, you've got Jesus himself. You've then got the people who Jesus spoke with, people like Nicodemus and the woman of Samaria. And now finally, John, the gospel writer, testifying to who Jesus is. Therefore, we can trust the apostles' record of Jesus' word. With Peter's recommissioning, with John's role in recording the gospel, we can trust the gospel messengers. And As this gospel message goes out to call and to feed Christ's sheep, that verse 25 begins to make sense. Because as Christ reveals himself through his word, as Christ feeds his sheep, as he gives them life through his word, recorded by the apostles, he does many things. He does many things in our lives. Imagine if you just wrote down everything the Lord has done that you know of in your life. Imagine writing that down just even for the last week. He has many things in our lives that if he were to write down everything he has done, just us, then the world wouldn't wouldn't be able to contain all the books. Because after all, we are talking about the eternal one of God. The eternal one of whom it was said in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we rejoice that you are the eternal word of God. And that you have acted and that you continue to act in our lives. And Lord, you do so many things in our lives that we do not know them all. Yet one day we shall. Thank you that you are so involved in our lives that if we were to write down everything that you had done, the world would not be able to contain all the books written. Thank you that as you called your apostles to go and feed your sheep, you still feed your sheep through their words, through the scriptures written down for us. Help us to keep being fed by you a priority in our lives. Father, we're sorry for times when things get in the way of being fed by you. When we make other things a priority. We're sorry for times when short seasons in our life become longer seasons. Times when we acknowledge we can't read your word as much become longer and longer and it becomes habit. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gospel message. That we know that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in your name we have life. Thank you for the gospel messengers who you have sent out to proclaim your words. Thank you that we have it written for us today. And as we have prayed these things for ourselves, so we pray the same for the children this morning. We ask them in your name before our Father. Amen. We're going to end our service this morning by singing our final song. You're the words of God the Father. And then after we sing the song together, please remain upstanding for our benediction. You're the word of God the Father from before the world began. Every star and every planet has been fashioned by your hand. That same word that feeds us today is the word which flung stars into space. As the band begins to play, please join with me in standing and sing our final song together.